This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. This morning, um, I invite you to turn me in your Bibles as we begin to our opening text. is found in Proverbs 20, verse 19. Proverbs 20, verse 19. And we have handouts for you at this time. With these handouts, um, I don't think there's enough. And so you may have to share with... Yeah. You may have to take, um, share with your friends or maybe your family members, like one per two or whatever. And I think we have a few handouts left over, like maybe two or three from maybe each session we found... So if you're interested, you can see my wife right there afterwards, and you can see in the back, and you can get them for the previous seminars. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Does everybody have handouts yet? Oh, no, not yet. This side doesn't have yet? Okay. Okay, it's getting there. It's getting there. So the seminar was entitled The Truth About Sex and Sexuality, and it's about love, sex, and relationships. And we've been going through our journey. Beginning yesterday, we look at um, the struggles that women face sexually that's never talked about. And we learned that about emotional lusting of the heart. And then we went to the men, and their battles are different because of the different hormones that men have than women. Um, and so they struggle with the physical lustings through the eyes, um, and then we went on to discover about the purity in these last days that God wants for his people, um, the last generation, and so the sexual purity and the consequences of wrong action and how our sexual past can affect our future marriages, and then we looked at how we can actually break free from the soul ties because sex is actually a spiritual thing, it's not just a physical thing, so you can be tied to your past people you had sex with and bring those people into your marriages because of what has happened. And then today we're going to end with playing the love game. And it's kind of built upon, especially the first two you've been here yesterday, you're going to see how it's going to come together. And the games that men play against women and women play against men in order to manipulate the opposite sex and the different type of games they do play based upon what we learned yesterday. Um, my warning is also that I guess this is presented in a way so that you would know what the games the opposite sex plays so that you won't be played by the players. What do you say, amen? <laughs> also, the games that um, your sex plays so that you won't be the player. Can you hear amen, amen? Um, wouldn't want this to be used as a way to know the opposite sex so that you can play and be a player. What do you say? Big amen? 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 So we want to make sure that we are following the principles here um, to be godly young men and young women. Or older men and older women. What do you say? Amen? Okay, so that's the introduction. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 19. I think our flyers are getting there. It's been a blessing being here. Um, I know I need to share some things about yesterday. And I want to apologize. I know we had a Q&A in the afterwards. And um, I was talking with someone. And I think our ministry deals with root causes, not just symptoms. So sexual addictions is just a symptom. You deal with the root causes. Sexual addictions is really meant to just numb your pain. We're dealing with the root causes. And if you deal with the root causes and heal from these over here, then these addictions will fall away. Does that make sense? It'd be easier to fall away because the root cause is, is, is done away with. You, you experience healing. And so in, in the questionings, I'm realizing that, you know, in a quick Q&A, 30-second answer, I felt like, and just looking upon the faces and talking to people afterwards and reading your body language and your intonations and the questions that were asked, is, it wasn't just basic questions. You were asking a lot of questions that were real-life, intense, deep issues that you're actually, you are going through, 
looking for a quick, you know, like a fast food answer in a sense. And I feel like the issues are way more deeper and you really need to be sit down, hear the whole story, what you're coming from, because a short answer can actually be a wrong answer if that's not really pertaining to you. Does that make sense? And so that's, um, I know we like to do the fast food answer. I'm, I'm okay, I'm healed, and, but it's a lot more than that. And so I just want to present that. want to let you know we do have a school um, on emotional healing called Healing Rain. Uh, it's a 10-day program and it helps you with emotional healing. And when the next one is actually going to be in Australia in March, and we won't have it in Hawaii soon. So come by our booth. We'd love to see you. Healing Rain 205 in ex- Exhibition Hall. And I'm looking forward to meeting you. And if you have any other questions as well, I'm going to have to leave, like maybe shortly. I can take a few questions afterwards, but I have to leave shortly for um, an appointment. So if you want to see, ask some questions, you can meet us at our booth um, in the exhibition hall. With that, I think all the handouts have been, are still being handed out, but let's begin. Uh, Satan today, you know, he has made this gift of love into a cheap game, Okay. And the men and women play these games, they're called players. You ever heard someone say, that guy, he's a player, watch out, right? How many of you heard that before, right? Or that girl, she's a player, watch out. So, okay, so, and they do this, this term player also applies, you know, to women, because, you know, to play men and manipulate. And what they're saying, they're saying is that they're using the game of love to play. They're playing this game. And so... This, in this game, they're making love a game. That's what it is. That's why, you know, players play in a game. And so we've learned that the women's battles are with the emotional lusting of the heart. And, and that happens through the ears. And we also learned that men's battles is with the physical lusting, right? And, and that through avenue that Satan uses is through, through the eyes, as we learned through the Word of God yesterday. And the crafty players in this game of love, whether they be men or women, understand these principles very well, and they use these principles to manipulate the opposite sex so that they can get what they want. They don't care about the other party getting hurt. They're only concerned about their selfish pleasure and enjoying it themselves. Is that not true, right? And so as Christians, we're not to play the game of love. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? To manipulate the other person. God doesn't want us to be a player, nor does he want us to be played. For God knows that one wrong decision in our love life will affect us for the rest of our lives. Could affect us for the rest of our lives. I want to study from the Word of God with you the tricks and games people play in order to manipulate the opposite sex. And as we study this topic, may we never play any of these dangerous love games. And if we are, that we may stop and surrender our wills to a God who loves us. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, we humbly ask this one last time, Lord, that you, were, you may speak to your people, move freely among your hearts whom you love. We thank you, Lord, that you already answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Proverbs 20, verse 19. What are we counseled to not do? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the men's games that they play against women. How did they play women, knowing what we learned yesterday? How did they use this knowledge to play women, to get what they want, to manipulate women? So women, you know, listen up closely what happens, okay? So what do we counsel not to do? Proverbs 20 verse 19 says, He who goes about as a tale-bearer reveals secrets. And then it says this, do, Therefore do not associate, it says here, with one who what? Flatters with his what? Lips. We're constantly not to meddle or associate. In other words, don't hang out, don't be around anyone who flatters with his lips. You see, women are aroused by what they hear. And it's out of a woman's emotional desires of her heart, cries out for someone to satisfy her innermost needs to be loved, needed, valued, and cherished. When a man seems to satisfy this by his words, he draws out their affections. A woman falls head over heels for him. Women, men who are players know that they, they use flattery or sweet talk through your ears in order to call out your affections and your emotions toward them. And many times it's not even the straight, you know, obvious kind of flirtation and flattery and nice words and you look beautiful. Many times it's actually through playing with you and joking around. 
And many times it's even through teasing you. Do you know that? There can be points where they can tease you, and you kind of maybe too much, like get irritated, but you like the attention that they're giving to you. Are you following me? They're joking with you. He's funny. He makes you laugh. It sounds good. And so they use these techniques, the player, to draw out your affections toward them. They know the effects. These players know the effects that words have upon you, and they take advantage of it. And finally, when the women finally wake up and find out they've been used by these men for their purposes and what they want, many of the years have been wasted away by their sweet talkers' manipulation. Is that not true? And that's why we don't want to be fall into the deceptions of Satan. In other words, women don't fall for one who calls out your affections by sweet talking you. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? You may think that he's the only one that you're talking to, but he said that to you, he said it to a hundred women. What do you say, amen? amen? How do you know that? Well, let's look at the paper here from the Spirit of Prophecy. Notice she says, she said, to trifle with hearts is a crime of no small magnitude in the sight of a holy God. And yet some will show preference for young ladies and call out their, what? Affections. In other words, they're sweet-talking them, they're joking with them, they're playing with them, laughing, making them so funny, and they're teasing you and making trouble to you, right? I mean, that's what they're doing. And says, so, notice what it says, not after they call out your affection, you feel you're so good, and you feel, wow, somebody really likes me the way that he likes me. After you, you feel that way, you feel so good, she says this, and then they go their way and forget all about the words, right, to your ears, the words they have spoken in their effect. They totally forgot about what they said to you. Because they're looking at what they can get out of you, right? A new face attracts them. And they repeat the same words that they said to you and you felt so special. They repeat the same words, devote to another the same attentions. Is that what happens? Is that what a player does? You felt like you were the only one. You felt like you were so special. And the same words that he said to you, guess what? He said it to the, the other girl that he felt was maybe just as pretty or prettier than you. So that's what a player does, according to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Now, as you take a look at how we shouldn't call out affections and play with a person's emotions, um, let's look how we deal with a situation where a person is already attracted to you. Okay, let's look at the story of Joseph and Potiphar. Look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 7. Genesis chapter 39, verse Verse 7. What did Potiphar's wife want to do to Joseph? Genesis, Genesis 39, verse 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass, after these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Thank you. Lie with me. In other words, sleep with me. So in other words, this woman, his boss's wife, right? This is um, workplace harassment, sexual harassment. <laughs> Harassment. He just kind of attacked it. That's what's going on in the world right now, right? A lot of that stuff going on. And the newscasters and politicians and Hollywood. So that's what's happening. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says, right? And so she's, he's being sexually har- harassed by this woman. And she wanted to sleep with him. And notice what he did in verse 39, verse 10 to 12. The Bible says, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her, he didn't, to lie with her, or to what? Be with her. But it happened about this time, and Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment. She grabbed him. She sexually attacked him. And said, sleep with me. But he pulled off his, left his garment in her hand, he pulled off his just spun around and pulled it off, right? And then he fled outside. And so when he was in a situation with her, you know, he chose not to be with her at all. And that's how we should be as Christians. Men, if you know that someone likes you and she's married or you're not looking to um, be with her or you want to, you know, just play, play around or whatever it is, don't feed off her affections or play with her emotions. Flee from her. Don't smile at her knowingly. Don't be anywhere where she can be further impressed by how funny you are or, or actually how good you make her feel. Don't play with a woman's emotions by calling her your sweetheart girlfriend when she's not your sweetheart girlfriend. What do you say? Amen? There are serious offenses that one can 
that would come down upon us. Look at the next quotation. It says, I was compelled to hear the words spoken by some men to women and girls. Words of what? Flattery. Specifically what the Bible is saying here. Words that would deceive and infatuate. Satan uses all these means to destroy souls, the souls of women. Some of you may thus have been his agents, men. And if so, you would have to meet these things in the judgment. Is there any other stronger words than that? You know, sometimes I think, um, you know, I was in this one school. Um, you know, after I got converted, I didn't understand everything. And here it was, um, there's a school that, you know, we didn't want to be in a relationship. So we're like close to each other. But then um, it's kind of like an unspoken relationship. I mean, you heard of that before, right? Kind of just like friends. Come on, let me see hands up there. Come on. Don't leave me hanging. Come on, let me see up there. Hi. <laughs> The teacher probably is right there sitting next to you. So, <laughs> But anyway, this relationship, and, and here's the danger. You know, you're calling out affections, right? And there's that same, like you're, like, you're just in a relationship, but you're not official. Does that make sense? Man, that's so scary. You know how scary it is? Because, and here's the thing. If you're not in an official relationship, but you're acting like you are in a relationship, and you're just friends, friends, right, kind of thing, Right? You call out affection, they call in your heart, but you feel like, well, you know, we're not in a relationship, so, you know, I don't know where we're at, and I guess I can talk to this guy, and I can, you know, maybe get a little friendly with him. And when you see that, what happens to your heart when you see that? So you think that, well, if I don't get into a relationship, I'm not, I'm not going to get hurt. And that's why a lot of people are afraid of marriage because they're afraid of the C word, commitment. They think, if I don't get into this marriage, then I'm not going to get a, like a divorce like my parents did or all my friends did. Or, the, or get, if I don't get into this official relationship and get the C word, commitment, and stay in this, in this boyfriend, girlfriend, then I won't get hurt because I'm not in the relationship and therefore my heart will get hurt. Guess what? By you calling out affections and giving your affection and receiving affections, you already are setting yourself up to be hurt. And I believe you can set yourself up to be even more hurt because there's more chances that you may be open up to other girls and she may open up to other guys. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? So it's more dangerous to be in that situation. So we look at the what men are doing, how they call out affection. Let's look at women and what they do. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 to 27. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6 to 27. I'm just going to read it because I just want you to see about um, this woman and this man, the story of this woman this man in, in Proverbs. And this really meant a lot to me when I was when I was, I was dating, um, right after college, I was dating this girl, and um, she really broke my heart. And I guess every time I read this, I think this was her, you know, kind of get like, like, you know, I kind of feel like, oh, man. Of course, you always feel like it's the other person's fault, right? It's also, it was my fault, too, but, you know, you kind of feel justified when you look and read this text. So you kind of look at this, and I was reading this Proverbs 7, verse 6. And let me read it to you so you kind of know what it's saying. She said, the Bible says, um, verse 6, chapter 7, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. I thought that was me, you know, innocent man. <laughs> Passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a prostitute and a crafty heart, a player. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face she said to him, I had peace offerings with me. Today I paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamons. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. How'd that sound? Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. 
That wasn't me, okay, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I felt like it was me with her, right? Yours was like her fault or his fault. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on an appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox going to the slaughter. Mm, never felt like that ox going to a slaughter from the opposite sex and how they treated you? Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. To an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. How's that one? Huh? Pretty poetic, huh? <laughs> you know how I go to struggles, and I first came a Christian, I look at the text, and I go, man, that's me, right? Psalms is so beautiful, like, oh, it's so painful. It's like, ooh, the pain is like, like almost like you love the pain, but you don't love the pain. And you listen to those love songs, put on repeat over and over, the same song over and over. And like, ooh, it's painful, but you turn it off, but, but you like it, so you leave it on. And it just hurts, right? How many you been there before? You're laughing, this is, you're raising your hand when you're laughing, okay? You don't have to raise your hand because you're laughing already. So don't fall for this type of woman who's a player. She has cast down her wounded. Many strong men have been slain by her. House is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Notice what it says here. Inspiration, again, Spirit of Prophecy says about these type of women. It says, The women in this age, both married and unmarried, too frequently do not maintain the reserve that is necessary. They encourage the attentions of single and married men. They want the attention of men. And those who are weak in moral power will be ensnared. Thoughts are awakened that would not have been if the woman had kept her place in all modesty, right? not revealing, and sobriety. Next quotation. Oh, I used to use this text a lot when I first found this when I was younger. I guess it's like a hidden pain of being hurt, I guess, by women. That's, I guess, what I'm thinking about. And it says, women are too often tempters. My female friends never liked this quotation. I didn't know why. But (laughs) on one pretense or another, they engage the attention. They want the attention of men. Remember that word, attention. Married or unmarried, and lead them on till they transgress the law of God, till their usefulness is ruined and their souls are in jeopardy. Like I shared yesterday, right, with Samson, the most powerful man. No man could stop Samson. And yet what no man could do, a woman could. And that's what it is with men. You see a lot of spiritual leaders falling today, and people you respect but we should always keep our eyes focused on what Jesus, what he's saying. Amen? Now, I want you to notice about this woman specifically. We're going to go back to chapter 7, verse 10, and focus on 10. How, how did this woman, she was a player now, how did this woman, this player, dress? Verse 10 says, And there was a woman, and there a woman met him with the attire of a what? Prostitute and a crafty heart, a player. Okay? But I want you to notice that she was not a prostitute. She only, what? Dressed like a what? Prostitute. Hmm. That's a player, according to the Bible, right? She wasn't a prostitute, but she dressed like a prostitute. Now, women use their bodies, what they wear, in order to call out the attention, we learn in the spirit of prophecy, the attention of men. Because it makes them feel good through their ears, right? They like that attention they get. Men, don't fall for women who dress this way. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? They are dressing this way so that you will look and give to them your attention. But don't look. What do you say, amen? Even when I was younger and um, wasn't converted, when women would dress very sexy, I purposely wouldn't even look at them. I guess this is my, how I did it. But, you know, sometimes it can actually have an opposite effect, Right? Because you do that, it actually makes them want to try even harder, right? But you don't give them the attention. Don't even look. I purposely, every time they dress, they want to flat or flirt with everybody, I purposely stayed far away from them. You know, it's kind of just like, because you know why? Because they want you to look. Did you know that? 
They're not dressed in any way, oh, by accident, right? They're not dressed in this way, oh, put this on, right? No, they, they have a purpose why they're dressed in this way, right? They have a goal. Don't give in to what they want. Think about it. She dressed like a prostitute. prostitute prostitution is a business and an occupation, right? Think about this. A prostitute's livelihood, making money, right, Base, is based upon her success as a business. Is that not true? If she is successful, she can eat. She can, if she's successful in what she does, she can pay her bills. If she's successful, she can even buy clothes for her baby. So like any other business, she has to make sure that her product is as attractive as possible. In this case, unfortunately, her product is her body and her target is men, right? Now, how does a prostitute dress? How does she dress? She dresses as sexy as possible, right? Whether she's a street hooker or, you know, that's gaudy dressing but sexy, right, or a classy woman, she dresses very sexy. And her whole goal is to draw, and there's two things that draw attention of men, and that is sleek curves and bare skin. And so they want to view the most sleek curves as possible and bare skin as possible so that it will draw the attention of these men because their livelihood is based upon men coming to her for business. Now, if a prostitute, think about this, if a prostitute would actually dress modestly, what would happen to her business? What is this side? Huh, I think I'm going to go with the covered wagon look today. Long dresses, poofy, and this long sleeve, right? <laughs> what would happen if she goes to the red light district and walking around like that? Right? Are you following me? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you need to dress like a covered wagon, right? That's what I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we need to be careful women in what we wear. Can you hear a big amen? 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 We need to be modest in what we wear. Satan has bombarded women through television, music, movies, magazines, romance, novels, whatever it is, that they must be in shape, in love, and in control. And being sexy of utmost priority. You know when people, um, when they go shopping for clothes, and the girls go shopping, and they say, does this look good? So a lot of times what they're saying is that they want to buy something that reveals their sleek curves and bare skin. Does it look, make me look more attractive, right? And women as a Christian... You are not a prostitute. Can you hear a big amen? 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 Therefore, don't dress like a prostitute. Don't seek the attention of men. And say, why don't you seek the attention of God and dress up your character with this robe of Christ's righteousness? What do you say? Amen? amen. Let it be the inner, rather than the outward adorning and dressing on the outside, the Bible says, let it be the inner adorning of the heart. In other words, don't wear all this fancy jewelry and makeup on the outside, but wear the fancy jewelry and makeup of dressing up your heart. What do you say? Amen? We should wear jewelry, the Bible says. The inward adorning, adornment is jewelry, of the heart. Build up your character. Let your character be beautiful. Let it be attractive. Let, it draw, let that be the one that draws the attention of other people with similar characteristics. And as you join together, you have a beautiful marriage revealing the beautiful character of Christ's love. I want that. How about you? Amen? That's what you should dress up your character with. Notice what it says here in a quotation in your handout. It says, In these last days, some of the fashions are shameful and immodest. If God's professed people had not greatly departed from Him, there would now be a marked difference between their dress and that of the world. We're living in a time when earth's inhabitants are growing more and more corrupt, and the line of distinction must be more plain between them and the Israel of God. Or the curse which falls upon worldlings will fall on God's professed people. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, Adam and Eve, right? And they sewed what? Fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, right? Coverings. You know, I had an illustration, and I put on an apron, right? And I tied it, and sometimes there's nothing in the back but a tie. <laughs> An apron, right? Are you following me? Okay, that's how they're dressed, right? And you know, they're dressed this way, and 
What happened when God saw that they weren't dressed properly? Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Bible says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made, what? Tunics or coats of skin and covered them. In other words, God made them coats, you know, the coat, yeah, covers everything, right? He covered them and he put them on because he felt that they were not dressed modestly. And beloved, I'm not saying that, you know, you always need to be dressed, dressed, dressed this way, but I believe that we should not dress in a way to reveal our sleek curves and bare skin in order to attract the attention and to get the attention that you're hungering for from other men. What do you say? Amen? I believe in practicality. You know, if it's, if it's not practical, it doesn't work. I understand that. And I believe in a balance. You know, I believe you can go too much, right? And a lot of dress reform in Adam White's day was primarily for health reasons. Okay? Because back then, the modesty wasn't so much an issue. But today... Because, you know, this is a good circulation, right? Perfect health equals perfect circulation. You cover, it's good circulation. Get healthy, you won't get sick. A draft come in, you won't get sick because you get too cold. But we're talking today about a modesty that is uh, different from even 100 years ago. But just a balance. I believe in that balance in the middle. And so they're dressed this way. Now, the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Is that not true, right? So think about this scenario. So say you have... Um, a neighbor, and your neighbor is going to get married soon. And so she already bought her dress, and she fits perfectly within her dress, right? And she's been working out and keeping in shape, right? Nice time. A lot of the bridesmaids, they say, we're training, and say, what are you training for? We're training for this wedding that's coming up, right? <laughs> and so they want to make sure they fit inside their bridesmaid gowns and everything perfectly. But let's say you're an internationally recognized, amazing chef. And you just love to bake. And you love to bake the most sweetest pies out there and cakes. And everyone loves it. And you know your neighbor, but you know what? You just love the, the, this attention that people give to you and the affirmation that you're such a great international chef. And you see your neighbor, and she's just training for her wedding, and she's wanting to be a beautiful bride on the day of her special day. And you're looking at your, at your neighbor, and you're like, yeah, she's training, but, you know, I really crave her attention. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to her. I just made this beautiful strawberry shortcake pie <laughs> cake. And I have it with me, and I crave her attention. So I'm going to go to her, and I'm going to go and offer it to her that she could eat this cake. And I want the attention. I want her to eat it, right? Now... Is that doing unto others that you want them to do to you? Is that being unselfish or being selfish? Selfish, right? You want your own attention to actually give yourself own pleasure. And what if you did this every day and you get, brought this cake every day and say, here, I have a cake for you. Oh, this one is actually vanilla, right? And you go on, oh, this is, you know, mint carob. Or <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, you want to try this because you're a vegan chef and all that, right? So you give them all this, <laughs> you give them all these cakes, right? You think that is a loving thing to do? or a selfish thing to do. Another scenario. Consider this. Women, you know that men are visually stimulated at the sight of a woman's body, especially her bare skin, right? A scantily clad body, and actually, you know, her sleek curves. You know that. And you know that these men, especially in your youth group, or even at church, maybe even know, and maybe you don't know, that men are coming to church and they want to stay faithful to their, husbands, to their wives. And maybe there's some, some men who come to church and they just came from the world and they struggle with sexual temptations that we talked about yesterday and lusting after women, right? And they come to church and they're thinking that this is a safe place. And they come to church and they sit down in a pew and they look up and there they see you revealing your sleek curls and your tan bare skin and my next question to you is, are you acting lovingly toward your brother or are you acting selfishly? Is that a good question? They're struggling with pornography. They're struggling with masturbation. They're struggling with adultery. And they come to the one place they feel supposed to be a safe place for healing and help. And they get more tempted than they do at home. Is that acting lovingly or acting selfishly? Are these good questions to ask ourselves, do you think? 
what are we asking? Are we asking, what man would I come across today and would this catch his eye when you're dressing in the morning? Instead of that, try asking, would wearing this outfit be a loving expression not causing my brothers to stumble and fall? Amen? Now that we look at these games, okay, we look at the, the games of men and we look at the games of women, okay, let's now take a look at the dangers of playing these games. Okay? So, um, what did, let's turn to John chapter 18, verse 15 to 18. John chapter 18, verse 15 to 18. Notice the Bible says, what did Peter pretend what did Peter pretend what John did not? Look at verse 15 to 18. The Bible says, and remember Jesus was taken away into the hall before the high priest, and John and Peter went and followed, right? But notice what happens here. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, which was John. Uh, John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of the coals stood there for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. In other words, here was when John went inside, you know, they knew him. He actually went in a corner and he didn't pretend to be something he was not. But Peter, and they left him alone. When Peter, when he walked in, he was actually pretending not to know Jesus. Oh, yeah, man, what happened? You know, he went, covered his face and started like um, rubbing his hand by the fire and hanging out with all the soldiers and the crews, you know, the people and the mob there and pretending to not know him, pretending to be something he was not. John was unpretending. Peter was pretending to be something he was not. Notice what it says here in the quotation, in Desire of Ages, it says about this situation. The disciple John, upon entering the judgment hall, did not try to conceal the fact that he was a follower of Jesus. He did not mingle with the rough company who were reviling his master. He was not questioned, for he did not assume a false character and thus lay himself liable to suspicion. Peter had been designed that his real character should be known. In assuming an air of indifference, he had placed himself on the enemy's ground and became an easy prey to temptation. In other words, he, when he was pretending to be something he was not, that's when Satan hit him. It's when you're faking, pretending, wearing masks, that's when you're in a very dangerous situation. Beloved, don't miss the point. Don't play with the world and don't play cool with the, with the world and be a player when that's not what you really like. Many of us here, young people, you were not raised to be like the world. What do you say, amen? You're raised to be Christians. Not all of you, I know that. But many of you. So don't act as if you're something else when you're not. Don't pretend to be cool. Don't try and play the love game. Don't try to pretend to be something you're not at a party with a beer in your hand that looks unnatural. Can you hear a big amen? Amen? Well, Satan would just take that pretension and he's going to humiliate you. Be real like how John was. For if you like Peter, if you can see who you really are, the world will see that you're awkward, you're unnatural, and you're out of place, and they're going to press you to your ruin. You know, when I go to parties, that's what they do to me. They, they always come up to me and they test me. You know, they want to test me how, who I really am and if I back down on what I am. I just went to a party, and they're all drinking and everything. You know, you know Jesus hung out with the sinners, by the way. Do you guys know that? So much so that they accuse him of being a drunkard, right? Wine bibber, you know overeating, partier. So, and another powerful thing about Jesus is not that he hung around, hung around with sinners. And a lot of us stay out in this, this false world reality and there's the sinners and we separate ourselves because we're going to be tainted by the sin, right? The, the powerful thing was not only he broke that barrier and hung around with sinners, which is very powerful because many Christians don't even do that, but the most powerful thing about this was that not only did Jesus hang around with sinners, but the most powerful thing is this, is that sinners wanted to hang around with Jesus. Amen. That. Wrap your mind around that one. And so he was at this party, and, you know, the first thing I was talking, I was meeting this guy, and he was one of the, you know, the guys there, and this party had a lot of drug dealers and just the underground people, the syndicate and all that. And, like, here was this guy, and he pressed me, like, because at first he this. He said, he wants some, some food? And I said, oh, no. And the person next to me said, she knew me, and she said, oh, yeah, he doesn't eat meat. And he goes, what? You don't eat meat? And I said, 
Yeah, I don't eat meat. And he said, what, you don't even eat like fish? And I said, no, I don't, I don't, eat, I don't eat fish. You know, kind of like to intimidate you. And he, and he goes, what, you don't eat this and that? And I said, no, I don't eat any of that. And he goes, wow, that's cool. <laughs> then he said, he said, my wife, she, she went that direction. In fact, she went to Weimar <laughs> for health, for health kind of training. And I go, oh, wow. I graduated from Weimar, so I went to Weimar too. You know? And so we bonded, we connected. You know, if I had backed up, I said, well, you know, maybe sometimes. Oh, you know, it's okay. Well, yeah, maybe. You know, if I kind of wavered and pretended to be something or not, you know, it wouldn't have been that connection. If he found out the truth, right, he'd be totally shut me down. Because you can't play like that in the real world. Are you following me? Amen? You can't pretend to be something you're not, especially in the world. They don't like that. And they're going to turn. You're never going to be able to witness that way. You have to be who you are, as you are, and to say, this is who I am, right? And because of that, they accept you. So that's what, that's what they were. And so many of you do not like that. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Then the world's going to slam you when you try to pretend, to pretend to be something you're not. Don't pretend to be a player when you're not a player. Can you hear me? Amen. Amen? You weren't raised to be a player. Be real like John was real. Satan will press you to your ruin. And when you finally wake up, it'll be too late because the world's going to slam you. Now, what else happened? Turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 8. What did Jesus commend the unjust steward for? Luke chapter 16, verse 8. Notice what the Bible says here. What did Jesus commend the unjust steward for? The Bible says, So the master commended. To see, this unjust steward, what he did was, he's going to get fired. So when he learned he's going to get fired, what he did was, huh, all these people who owe like my master like a hundred, let's say a thousand dollars, I'm going to go to him and say, hey, look, you owe a thousand dollars, don't worry about it. Just pay four hundred dollars, I'll cancel your debt. Because he's going to get fired, right? Then he went to another person and said, huh, how much you owe? Oh, twenty thousand dollars, no problem. Just give me like five thousand dollars and I'll cancel your twenty thousand debt. And what he's looking for, he's looking for a favor for a favor. In the future, when I'm out of a job, you're going to give me a favor back to me. Are you following me? So Jesus, you know, he didn't justify that wrong behavior, but he justified actually the wisdom of this worldly person. And he said in verse 16, verse 8, he said, So the master commended the unjust steward, not his wrong action, but being wise, because he had dealt unshrewdly for the, and then he says, for the children of this world, are more wiser in their generation than the children of what? Light. In other words, Jesus commanded the unjust steward from the word for being wise. And he stated that the children of this world are wiser than the children of the truth. In other words, when it comes to worldly things, the people in this world are wiser than the people in the church. Is that not true? What do you say? Amen. Beloved, when it comes to playing love games, the people in this world are wiser than you and me. Don't start playing love games the way the world does and think you're not going to get burned. This world is smarter than you. And you, who have been raised differently your whole life, with taught all these principles, when you go out in the world, don't think that you're just going to go out into the world now that you have your freedom and go into the world and nothing's going to hurt you and you're going to have some fun out there. Jesus said the world is smarter than you. And it will abuse you, it will take advantage of you, and then hang you out to dry. I've seen it happen to many people who are in the church. Men don't flirt and flatter and sweet talk women in order to call out your affections and play with their emotions. Like all your worldly friends do. Yes, it may work, but you will pay. If not in that relationship, then certainly in a future relationship. Women, don't start dressing like your worldly friends in order to seek the attention of men to what you wear. Yes, you'll get your attention, but it would be the wrong type of attention. You see, men are playing a game. The reason why they flatter and they make you feel good and make you laugh and they tease you, they actually, the reason why they're doing this because they're using their emotions to get the physical. Many times, the players are. Because they know that women take a while to warm up with the low testosterone physically, so they warm up through the ears and the emotional warming up. And they warm them up that way by flattering you. And they, ultimately their goal is to sleep with you. That's the true players out there, right? Is that not true? Yeah. And they're using emotional, the slow route to get what they want. They're playing you. Women, they're using the physical attraction to attract you to ultimately hope that you will fill the emotional void of filling the emotional needs in the heart. 
And they use that, and they'll sleep with you, and hoping that if, like, the woman did well, sleep with one man, right? Didn't work out. She gets called to another man, right? You had five husbands. Just looking for the emotional hungering of their soul to be fulfilled in you. And so they actually play the love game to get what they want. And so men are manipulating women in the love game in the world, right? And in the church, I see it too. But they're manipulating and playing the love game to get what they want, right? The physical to the emotional. And the women playing their love game, which is getting the emotional to the physical. And people in the church, young people, want to play with the world. Like any game, there are, then you think about it, in any game, there are winners and there are losers. And the winners are the ones who know how to play the game well. You know these winners, you know these sport, these athletes out there and actually um, professional athletes? You know, what do these professional athletes do outside of playing their games? What are, what are they doing? They're training. They're processing their moves, right? They're, coming, they're actually, they even eat very healthy to be at the best game, right? And they're working very hard for the Olympics, and they just practice their craft. They work it so hard, they perfect their craft, right? Beloved, that is what the players in the love game do as well. In other words, they're out there in the world, they're practicing, they're reading books, they're actually practicing their lines, they're actually out to have real experiences with people, and they're practicing. Those are really, really good. They practice a lot, they study their opponents well. And they play this, this game really, really well. And they study the opposite sex. So don't think you're just going to have a little fun playing with the men or women from the world. Instead, they're just going to play you. Tease you, deceive you, for the world is wiser than you. You know, like any games, there's checkers and chess. How many, how many here are really, really good at chess? Let me see your hand out there. Like, really good. How many of you have ever played a game of chess and you never lost? Let me see that out there. Well, you're not that good, okay? <laughs> oh, so here's the thing. Sooner or later, in any game, you will lose at least once. In the same way, if you continue to play this game of love, no matter how good you may be, one day sooner or later, you will lose at least once if you do play this game. Is that not true, right? And so the problem with losing in the game of love is that not only you may lose your, your life in this earth with your happiness in your marriage, but even your eternal destiny. And God wants us not to be players in this world. I want to follow Christ. How about you? What do you say, amen? Christ has died on the cross of Calvary for us because he loves us. May we realize how much he loves us and may it awaken within us a love for him, for, for what he's done for us. And how he wants to be close and intimate with us. I want us to make covenants. How's that sound? Inside your handout. These are covenant challenges based upon God's promises to us. Not that, you know, our promises, when we make promises and New Year's resolutions, which is coming up, many times we fall, right? But if we depend upon God to fulfill his promises within us, it will not fall. So the first covenant I ask to, for us to uh, covenant to is number one, covenant to ask God to help you to realize his love for you. What do you say? Believe that. Let me say amen. Amen? Two, covenant to surrender your life to Jesus every single day of your life. What do you say? Huh? Amen? Three, covenant to not be a player in the game of love. If you believe that? Let me say amen. Amen? Four, covenant to stay as far away from those of the opposite sex who play the love game so that you won't be played by then. Can you have a big amen? Amen? You know, there are people that I hear people say, Wow, he's a, is he a good person? No, he's a bad person. But why do you like him so much? I don't know. He's just so cute, right? <laughs> he may be cute, but you're going to pay in the long run, right? Number five, covenant men to not call out affections from women or to play with the emotion through flattery, flirtation, sweet talking, or by being funny. Can you hear a big amen? 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 Amen. That was weak. Come on. Come in, big man. Amen. Amen. I know there's more women here today. I know. Six, covenant. Women, to not call out attention from men through your body by what you wear or do not wear. Can I have a big amen? Amen. God is longing for a relationship with you. This same God who sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary for you 2,000 years ago still loves you the same today. 
This same God whose words have always come true desires to draw you to a deeper love relationship than you have ever imagined possible. This same God who actually possessed the power to form the entire universe longs to speak to your hungry heart words that have the power to heal and to fill the emotional void in your heart. You know, a lot of addictions, especially sexual addictions we talked about yesterday, you know, addictions are really meant to numb a pain over here that something happened to you in your past. Was it your divorce? Was it a broken relationship? Was it some type of sexual abuse that happened to you as a child? Whatever it is that happened to you or currently happening to you. You know, and many times people fall to the sexual addictions or pornography or masturbation or lusting, emotional lusting and heart, fantasizing about other men. All these different addictions, many times it's the root cause that's causing these addictions. And so if we heal from those root causes, you know, God can really bring you a long way and bring healing to your heart in the sexual addictions era. God loves you and he wants to come near to you. Why don't you come to God who's calling you to give your life to him? I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Amen. Um, we're going to do, we're going to close. We have a few minutes. And we're going to close with a Q&A. And um, I'm just going to come down here and you can share. By the way, if you're interested in our school, you can sign up with uh, my wife with a clipboard in the back as you leave. And if you have any questions, come to our booth. But I'm going to open it for some Q&A. Just a few Q&A questions that you may have. And um, I'll try my best to answer them. Okay, go ahead. You were saying that we, sh- uh, we as women shouldn't get our affection to men who are attracting us with, with attention and flattery and things. What, what should we be looking for? Like, uh, so you said we shouldn't give affection to men who give us our attention. Okay, yeah. I guess you have to look at the character of that person. Like, what are their motives? I know it's hard to do, right? Um, but also, if they're just kind of like first time they're meeting you and just kind of flattering you and playing right, just kind of just going that direction, and they're kind of just sometimes if you can sometimes we're not able to read their true motives, but many times you can kind of tell what they're really looking after. Uh, maybe if you're young, you're not able to, but you're gonna see sooner or later that um, they are. You have to really look for their character traits, who they are, you know, as a person, what do they believe, how they other people say they are. That's why it's good to get advice. From other people, what do you think about this person? Get if I see who, as a as a character, who are they really? I think that's important. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? So that means I don't have to buy anybody flowers or open doors, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you hear that? Ooh. <laughs> There's another seminar I gave on. Um, <laughs> not about buying flowers and opening doors, but <laughs> you know, I open doors for guys too, right? What's wrong with that? <laughs> right? It's just, it's just a character. I think this, this is an unselfish act, but um, I think if you're looking, like the ultimate goal in relationships, if you're looking for, a lot of times people want to get into relationships just for the pleasure of it, to have fun. The biblical model for relationship is that actually to see if the person you're actually going to be dating or courting is going to be the person you're going to marry or not. That's the ultimate goal. So if you, that's your intention. That actually helps solve that problem too because you want to see if this is the one. So you, you can open doors. You can bring flowers because you're actually seeing that person. But if your goal is just to have fun and play and just have pleasure and then um, just kind of date, but there's actually no direction in that dating, that's the kind of people you got to watch out for, I feel, yeah. But it's good to give flowers and open doors. <laughs> Probably need more of that, right? Um, what about the, the players? Is there like a karma, God giving, trying to put them in the right path, and the guy playing and curse with a bunch of daughters and help them get in the right path? <laughs> yeah, somewhere like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I have a um I have another presentation. It's called The Player Gets Played. So <laughs> I guess that's part two of this one, right? So you're already thinking ahead on that one. So it actually looks at how a player who actually got played in the Bible, um, sexually, 
because of that. Very good question. I don't know how to like correctly structure my question, but um, like you had the analogy of the woman that had um, you know got right for her wedding and felt confident. So where's the barrier of um, like is it selfish for women for a woman to want to feel confident? And by feeling confident, that's her way of dressing that now fits her body that she feels is beautiful, but not for the compliments for herself. Is it selfish for like feeling confident and wanting to show it? Yeah, it's very good. No, I think it's good to dress nice, you know, and, and attractive. Sorry. Sorry about that. I think it's really good. Um, but I think that, and no, this is another presentation too. It's um, a goal shouldn't be based upon, our self-worth should never be based upon other people's opinion of us. Because one day you're going to get attention, you feel great, the next day you don't, you get depressed. Does that make sense? So you're like this, emotionally. Our, our self-worth should always be based upon not what other people think about us, but what actually God thinks about us. And so when we base our self-worth based on how valuable you are in God's eyes, and that's a whole presentation, um, and that's how you build yourself. It's low self-esteem. People are trying to get it the wrong way in this world. The world does it a certain way, and unfortunately, many, most Christians try to get the, their self-worth and self-esteem higher um, by following the world's way of actually how well they do in comparison to other people. If I dress better than the other women in the room and I get more attention, I feel better about myself, right? Are you following me? If I can play better basketball than other guys and I get more attention from everyone else, then you know, that's how I get my self-worth from. So it's based upon um, other people's attention toward you. But if it's based upon what God thinks about you, there is freedom in that, right? Because then you have boldness. You're not concerned about what other people think about you. You're going to be free to be who you really are. And you're not concerned about what people think about you. You know, when I learned that truth, it sets me free. I'm not concerned about, you know, I still I get tempted many times for that, right? And I do think about what the people think. But at the same time, I'm free to be who I am, who I really am. And I can be transparent. I can be real. I'm not putting up pretension because I'm worried about what other people think about me. Um, I'm not covering and wearing a mask, right? But then I can be real, like John was real. I don't know if that helped. Just kind of off of that question, I know sometimes I hear women that say, well, I'm just wearing this not for attention just because it's, I want to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say it's for themselves. But I liked what you said, that am I making this a safe place for my brother? If I'm wearing something in it, and it maybe is just because I, wanted, I lost weight and I want to look, I want to show off my new body or whatever it is, am I making that a safe place for someone who else who is struggling? Is really something that is important for me, to just for every woman to think about. It's not just about me. Very good. And so it goes back to what was presented yeah, today. Very good. Okay, where are we? 10.15. Okay, one more question. Are you proposing that we be blunt in our intentions from the start? <laughs> oh, be blunt, huh? <laughs> it can be... T- I know guys who are... <laughs> I think the, it may not so blunt. <laughs> it, it has the opposite effect many times. Um, but a lot more honesty, I think, than what's presented today. Yeah. I think a lot of deception goes on in the dating games today. And it leaves a lot of broken hearts, both sides, men and women. So I think we need more, I feel we need more transparency. We need more realness of our true intentions, our true thoughts, and our true feelings. And you know, many marriages, I'm telling you right now, many marriages, the men don't even really know their wives and who they really are. And, and wives don't really even know their husbands, their true thoughts and their true feelings, even after when they're married. So anyway, I just uh, kind of want to end with that because I know it's passionate time. I don't want to steal time from something else. So thank you for coming. Enjoy. Come visit us at the booth. We're going to be there. Um, have any questions, you can ask us there. My wife and I will be there and other people. So God bless you and um, we'll see you. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.